Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer Podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I'm really glad that you're here. And today is an exciting day because today is episode number 20. Now, that may seem insignificant to you, but it's thrilling for me that I've endured for 20 episodes, and hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast and what I can tell from downloads, what I can tell from feedback, from uh, reviews is that you're really enjoying the show and I'm not going to take credit for that because we've had some amazing guests and a lot of inspiring guests. And one of the things that I keep hearing time and time again on the prolific writer podcast is the people that I've been able to find and how they've never heard of them, but now they've picked up their books, they've read their books, they've finding these new authors and, uh, getting into their stories and, and, and then writers that want to write and run right, right fast and, and well, they're getting inspired and they're getting encouraged to continue to write. That's really the hope. That's the two things we want to see happen. I, I really created the show because there's a lot of great authors that need help to get known and get their work out in the world because they write great stuff and want people to read their stuff. And then also I want to help writers. And so um, if we can do both those things, I think we're accomplishing our goal. And I just say I'm very just privileged to meet some amazing people. I have talked to people literally around the world. And today I get to talk to another person, Aaron Hodges, who literally is around the world from where I am. I'm recording in mid-America. But uh, he is in New Zealand, he travels the world, and he has a great story about taking uh, maybe a work or a story or a book and re I could say rewriting it or giving it new life. And one of the questions I get a lot is, what do I do if I have a manuscript 
and it's been sitting around and I'm not sure if it's good. I'm not sure what to do with it. And Aaron and I, we don't talk the whole time about this, but this is an interesting part of his story is what do I do when I have a manuscript and I need to maybe rewrite it or continue it or finish it? How do I do that? And he has a great story of working in a corporate job, going to university, but really wanted to be a writer and having some stories that he really wanted to revisit and see if there was something there. And so this is a little bit of his journey and how he took some of these stories, gave them new life, kind of rewrote them. And we talked a little bit about that, of how he did that and what was some of the process of doing that. So hopefully you'll find that encouraging. Hopefully you'll get some practical advice on how to do that um, because I know we've all had books and ideas and pieces that we want to kind of revisit and get out in the world and not sure how to do that or what to do. And uh, Aaron has some good advice on that. And I think you're going to love Aaron's story. He's, he's making a living doing the thing he loves. Um, he's learned a lot along the way. He's a humble guy and he's from New Zealand and he has a really cool accent. So he sounds really smart and makes me sound foolish. And so if, if that happens and that's obvious, it's a win for everybody. I think you're really going to enjoy Aaron. Go check out his books. He writes primarily right now in fantasy, uh, in the fantasy genres, looking at some other genres, but, uh, go check out Aaron Hodges. So hopefully you really enjoy this episode. One quick plug is leave a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for those that have been leaving reviews. It's really been helping the show and finding the work. There's a ton of great episodes. Go back, listen to them. Hope you've enjoyed them. Hopefully you've been inspired, encouraged to write better, write faster, write well, and get those words on the page. And uh, so I'm going to get right to the episode with Aaron Hodges, and I will talk to you very soon. Well, hey, welcome to the show, Aaron, and it's uh, good to be with you. And we are chatting from uh, the U.S. of A. and New Zealand. So uh, you're just waking up, and I'm heading towards the end of my day. So thank you for coming on the show. No worries, Ryan. It's good to be here. Yeah, so I met um, Aaron through our uh, mutual writing group, and uh, Aaron, as I've looked over your material, one interesting thing is that you're from New Zealand, which I find interesting because I was curious, you know, a lot of us are from the U.S. and, uh, you know, the U.K., but what, what's the difference? Is there any differences as far as New Zealand, you know, books, writing, arts compared to the U.S.? Anything you found um different similar um just being on a different part of the part of the world uh there's not too many differences uh one main major one that we kind of get stuck on occasion is we use more uk spelling <laughs> but not entirely uk spelling so we use a few words that are still us as well so we really just piss everyone off in that case sure sure and uh I realized to um, try and remove, change the spelling to one or the other as well. So I've just kind of left it as it is and I really should put a full warning there. Other than that, um, yeah, just more around the management side of things, like the uh, setting up Amazon is pretty easy with Kindle at least. But then when it comes to CreateSpace and ACX for the audiobooks, that starts getting tricky and you got to get sent a check and then you got to, your bank takes half of your bloody check almost and stuff <laughs> in great space. And 
ACX I'm not technically meant to be on, but there's workarounds and things. <laughs> okay. So w- what would you say, though, as far as, like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, a, an author um, from New Zealand or an influence from New Zealand. I mean, you growing up, who were kind of the people that you look to to kind of inspire you when you think about writing and creativity and all of that? <laughs> um, well, unfortunately, mostly not New Zealand authors. I'm trying to think of even one that would have... So there was a couple of Australian authors, sad to say, that uh, would have been quite influential on me. There was uh, John Marsden, who wrote uh, Tomorrow When the War Began, which is kind of, uh, it's uh, Australia gets invaded by foreign by a foreign army, basically, and it's about a group of teenagers stuck that were in the wilderness when the invaders came, so they're free, and uh, it's about them fighting a war to win back their country, basically. Okay. which is a re- really good series. I don't know how much it influenced my work, but it was definitely something I read a few times back in the day. And then uh, Ian Irvine is another Australian fantasy author, and uh, he writes The Tale of the Three Worlds, which is about uh, three planets, basically, that are connected magically <laughs> and uh, with four different species of human. And they, it starts like about... I think it was about a thousand, two thousand years after they all started interacting, and he's got this really wit- rich world and history and uh, story to all, all his stuff. So he, he actually had some really interesting world building ideas that I drew on a lot over the years. So when you were growing up, did you have uh, artists in your family, writers in your family? I mean, when you're thinking about even this idea of writing, when did that all begin? Uh, well, my sister's a, a um, clothes, fashion designer. She has her own brand of clothing and stuff here. And uh, my dad was always a bit of a drawing and a bit of crea- the creative type. Yeah, but for myself, I just sort of I can remember writing from basically as long as I can remember. Like uh, even in primary school, we well, our schools have uh, creative writing parts of school that I used to write a lot in. And by the time I got to intermediate school, I was writing a lot more uh, more serial kind of thing where the teacher would give you a assignment to write so many pages this week on this topic. And they'd give you a prompt, and then you'd be like, wow, I'm writing this story, so how do I fit my prompt into the story? <laughs> I swear, but eventually the teacher was just trying to mess with me. <laughs> So uh, you have an interesting story. So as I was kind of reading your bio and um, doing a little digging around, um, you know, you, you're fairly young um, and just kind of starting out. But what's interesting uh, I found was that you went to school to be uh, to do bi- biology and science, not really in the, the arts world and creativity world. Um, and it sounds like you maybe left that behind, but talk a little bit about that kind of the collision of, you know, always writing the creativity side, but then kind of the science, uh, biology, geography background. How do those things kind of come together? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, yeah, I studied at University of Auckland. I did five years and did my bachelor's and master's in environmental science, biology, geography, and a little bit of engineering. And, I, I actually wrote my first book during my bachelor's years. Like, I wrote out the whole trilogy. 
I started when I was in high school and I finished it in that first draft during that time. And I think the university really just helped bring my writing together in a way. Like they taught you how to write concisely and to the point and cut out all the waffle, which I think a lot of first time authors kind of struggle with. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think writing so much, like my first draft was a hundred thousand words and just being able to get better and better writing helps with my essays and things as well at the same time. As for the more science side of things, uh, well, for my first series, it was a fantasy trilogy, so I don't think it came into it too much there, other than helping with with the geography background, studying landscapes and rivers and things that helped a lot with the world developing and how things would have formed on my map and different parts of descriptions and things. But uh, and then the biology is is actually coming in quite handy for the new trilogy I'm writing, which is the genetic engineering sci-fi. So it's about a bunch of kids that have been kidnapped and experimented on by doctors. <laughs> so, uh, do you write primarily? You do primarily sci-fi, kind of fantasy-ish. Is that kind of where you land? Yeah. So my first series was straight epic fantasy, and this new series is straight uh, genetic sci-fi set in the future and based more around science and everything. So my first series has been popular, but I also quite like the science fiction side of things with technology and biology, all that sort of thing. So it's kind of, that's probably kind of bringing in my degree now and enjoying getting to use that again. So let's go back a little bit. So you, um, young kid, dad's a drawer, sister's a designer um you're writing stories in class because you have to and you're getting mad at the teacher and uh talk a little bit about just some of your influences like how how did you kind of end up in wanting to write kind of sci-fi fantasy um i always find that question interesting because everyone seems to kind of usually write what they like to read or what they've been influenced by and and those kinds of things talk a little bit about that what have been some of your influences yeah um well, my favorite author is uh, David Gemmell, who writes primarily fantasy. Uh, he's actually passed away a few years ago now, but he has some fantastic books if anyone's ever read them. And uh, he writes very epic fantasy, big battles and a little bit of magic, but it's not sort of that big a part of the world. But in his later books, you go into the future of that world and you learn that most of his worlds are actually set in a post-apocalyptic setting where our modern civilization was hundreds of years ago, but we completely wiped ourselves out and sent us back to the Bronze Age, basically. And then civilization is redeveloped from there, and then a lot of the magic that you find in the world is actually old technology that certain people have learned to use and things. Very similar also, um, Anne McCaffrey, for Dragon Riders of Pern series. I don't like so much the the uh, space opera sci-fi, so I don't, haven't read all her books, but the Dragon Riders of Pern series I thought were really, really quite fantastic how they merged that very classic uh, fantasy world with eventually into the sci-fi and space and technology sort of side of things. So they're probably two of my biggest influences. And the other one I would say would uh, be David Eddings. He writes very epic fantasy, sword and sorcery 
sort of stories for a young adult audience, and I read a lot of them when I was growing up and first coming up with the ideas for my first trilogy. Okay. Now, are your uh, are your fantasy books are they are they young adult or are they more adult? Uh, they're sort of in that cross between upper young adult, new adult sort of area. Mm-hmm. They are they're very, they're clean and they don't have too much violence, but they do have some, a lot of people die and whatnot. <laughs> so you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want an eleven year old reading them probably. But once you're getting up around fifteen and things, there's no problem. Right, right, yeah, and I I feel like some of those genres are are changing a lot. I mean, <laughs> when you have uh, you know, what's the one with the kids getting killed in the ring? Um, oh yeah, Hunger uh, Games. Yeah, Hunger Games. I mean, it's. I think more adults probably read that than than younger kids, but um, yeah, those lines are starting to get a little more blurred. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, no, I was reading some of your reviews, and you got really good reviews on on the books, and it sounds like you're able to kind of live in both worlds, um, adults, young adults, and uh, yeah, that's what I kind of sort of aim for. I like everyone to be able to read. My work, as long as they don't mind a few people getting slaughtered. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's real to life, right? Someone's got to die. Um, yeah. So, um, well, cool. So, you know, so you got sci-fi and you got fantasy. So when you when you look at, um, I, you know, I haven't had uh, enough time to read one of your books. I usually try to at least skim one of them, but um, on short notice. So if somebody's reading your book, you know, are you kind of blending in kind of the sci-fi and the fantasy elements? You know, it sounds like some of your influences, they kind of did a mashup kind of thing. How, do, how are those kind of coming out in your own work? Uh, so, so far I haven't had enough time to really develop that sort of side of things. I think my first series, uh, the three nations, sort of the sort of light trilogy, that world will probably stay primarily fantasy, but with the sci-fi series, eventually it'll be, it probably won't get to the point where there's fantasy elements, but I do have plans to take it further forwards into the future, into a more post-apocalyptic sort of world where there'll be uh, these genetically modified humans will be more important than humanity itself and there'll be different races and things. So it'll be getting more along the lines of Hunger Games and that sort of thing, where it's still got technology and maybe not Hunger Games. Uh, was it Maze Runner and and uh, Ender's Game? No, not Ender's Game. I've got the series name. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, basically, at the end of this series, it'll start a new ser- The next series will start three hundred years in the future or so, and uh, it'll be a war between three species, basically. Great. So let's, uh, let's go back a little bit more. And, uh, one thing I noticed is that you, it sounds like you kind of took a different career path. You left maybe, uh, environmental science or whatever you were doing as far as using your degree and all of that, uh, did some traveling and, um, those kinds of things. So when was kind of that moment of like, maybe I'm, I'm, I need to do something else or maybe I need to write or maybe I just need to see the world. Um, talk a little bit about that kind of where you've been and where you are right now. Yeah. So after university, I went straight into a position at a environmental consulting firm, environmental engineering consulting firm. And I worked there for about a year and a half as an environmental scientist doing uh, research for different 
is doing reports for basically environmental compliance to make sure these companies were doing thing, the things they were required to do by the government to be able to operate. And uh, that, that was interesting. Some of it was quite fun, especially the field work. But the, my biggest problem was with it was that they didn't have much field work. <laughs> so about 95% of my time was in the office. And uh, that didn't really suit me very well, and I didn't, yeah, be, we had a saying there that a bad day in the field is better than a good day in the office, and I think, personally, I thought that was very true. I'd almost rather be in the outside in the rain doing something than sitting in an office from nine to five. And, uh, yeah, so the other thing with it was that New Zealanders have a tradition called their OE, their Overseas Experience, where you quit your job or you finish university or you finish high school and you go overseas for a year or two, usually to London or Europe, and just see a bit of the world before you sort of settle back in New Zealand. And uh, it was getting to the point where if I continued working as I was, I would be getting in, making contacts and sort of working my way up the ranks and just gets harder and harder to leave at that point. So I thought, well, I'm not particularly happy here and... I don't want to get to the point where I can't quit because I'll lose, I'll put too much into it. So I decided that I would book a plane ticket to Thailand and quit my job and just see where it went from there. And uh, yeah, I traveled through Southeast Asia for four months and then decided I wanted something a bit more modern but and a bit cooler because holy crap, humidity at 35 degrees is interesting. <laughs> So I went to Canada and got a job there working for a hotel and tutoring high school students. And I started, I picked up the old manuscript I had for the Sword of Light trilogy and just started rewriting it. And uh, about eight months later, I'd, I finished rewriting it and uh, decided I'd stick it on Amazon and see what happened. And things went pretty well, so I kept writing. <laughs> So, so when was that? When What year was that when that first manuscript went out? Uh, so the first book went out on December 2015. And that was actually at the end of a little trip I'd come home for. And uh, I'd, just for a family emergency, so I was home for three months. And then a few days after I left, after I published the book, I left for uh, Guatemala and then spent 13 months traveling through South America. And so during that, those 13 months, uh, you weren't writing or anything? You weren't doing the second book or anything? Just No, no, I was, um, I was writing book two and book three okay. while I was doing it. So I uh, published, so December 5th, 2015 was Stormworlder. And then by June 2016, I'd finished Firestorm. And then I think in no, November, end of November last year, I finished Soulblade, the third book. And got that up there. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I love uh, your story because you're. I, I just interviewed someone that's written like almost a hundred books, and so I love having kind of the those that are beginning, and then those are kind of on the other end <laughs> um, as far as prolific writers. And so, in about I don't know a year and a half, two years, you've produced about six different books, I think, um, even like a box set and some other things. Um, so, so talk us. Let's start talking a little bit about kind of your, uh, you know, your process. So you you had that first manuscript that was kind of sitting around for a while. Uh, went back, rewrote that. What was that that process like? Because I always 
that's a question I get a lot is people that have a manuscript that's just been sitting, you know, maybe they like the idea, maybe they like the characters, maybe there's something there, but they're just not sure how to like go back in and, and kind of deal with it. Um, <laughs> you know, do I rewrite the whole thing? Do I tweak it? What do I do? Um, so talk to us a little bit about what was that for that first manuscript? What was that process like? Yeah. So that one was interesting. I mean, the first one, like what I'd actually done was, uh, in 2010, I think it was, I'd written this whole three-book series out as one book. And uh, that was the first really long work I'd ever done. But going for, looking at the, what I'd written at the end and comparing it to what I'd written at the start was uh, quite a big difference in the strength of the writing, basically. So in 2011, I'd also gone back and rewritten that first part of the book into an incomplete story by itself, and that's what I then called Stormwater. So that was the book I then went and picked back up in uh, 2015 to rewrite. So it had already been rewritten a couple of times. So it wasn't too bad, but it was still had a lot of work, of uh, attention needed to it, especially with how I'd mature. Like you find that going back to a book that's five years old and you read over it and you're five years wiser, as they say, and you look at it and you're like, wow, <laughs> this needs work. <laughs> so that that required a bit of attention and changing up the plot lines and things to make it all a bit, make a bit more sense and just not throwing characters in there that just to save the day sort of thing. So introducing people earlier and so on and so forth. Uh, I think, yeah, the more re parts where I really rewrote things were then for books two and three. Because for them, I only had that original manuscript I'd written six years ago now, and that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I read through that in a day and took bullet points of the major story elements I wanted to keep and then threw out the rest and just uh, rewrote it myself with the character, a lot more character development and interesting sort of more rich plot lines and things. Yeah, I think that's that's a the trick. Yeah, you really got to read what you've done and then just say, okay, now I'm going to write that properly. <laughs> yeah, I find that interesting because it's almost like you have a glorified outline right in front of you, very detailed <laughs> that you can kind of go back, yeah, pull out the good stuff, and then I like what you said about you're a different person. I mean, I think that's what people don't realize is when you write a book, you're, you're that person at that time. Um, but yeah. when you, you come back to it, you're, you're not that guy anymore. And so you hopefully got a little better and think about things a little differently. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's hard. Sometimes it is hard. I've had some manuscripts where I've gone back and I, I realized it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't rework it. I have to kind of start over maybe with the same idea. Cause I'm just not that guy anymore. And, um, yeah. you know, for good or ill, I guess. But, um, yeah, that, that, that's important because I think there's a lot of um, aspiring writers that listen and, and they have these manuscripts and they're not sure what to do with them, um, but they really like the idea, they like the characters, they like the world. Um, but, you know, I think you actually could probably write faster if you actually just kind of did what you did, like make bullet points and just, mm-hmm. go, and just start over rather than trying to take this, <laughs> you know, part of my friendship a turd and try to shine yeah. it, shine it up. You know, you spend so much time trying to make it something and it just takes forever. 
and then you're and yeah then most you're, definitely yeah then you're then you're not motivated because you just feel like you're wasting all this time yeah yeah no you, you it was definitely pretty bad my first manuscript so <laughs> it was good to just throw it out and start again basically with the bullet points mm-hmm. and i actually realized when i started writing this new series just how nice it was having knowing exactly all the main parts of the story and knowing where it was going sure and then now having to start again from scratch is like, whoa, this is hard. <laughs> right, right. So when you uh, have this manuscript and have these ideas and you're starting to crank out books, are you showing these to anybody? Or do you have editors? Do you have proofreaders? Do you have anyone kind of giving you feedback? Or are you kind of just doing this on your own and just seeing, okay, let's see if there's anything here? Uh, yeah, I've got a, well, I've got a couple of editors that I've used that I still haven't found one I really like yet. Let's put it that way. But I do have a team of proofreaders that go over the final copy. At the moment, I have a group of uh, authors that I talk to, talk with. We have a, a private messenger group of about eight of us that we, from all over the world, and we sort of chat about what we're doing and what advertising we're using and what we're writing in our books and things. So we share things occasionally. I don't have a team of beta readers at the moment, but maybe that, that's something I'll probably look into in the future. At the moment, I'm pretty much just taking stories that I've wanted to write for a while and focusing on them, and hopefully the readers like them as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it looks like you're you know you're doing all right. You're selling books, and you know keep keep cranking out the work, and um, and uh, yeah, one one thing uh, I was just gonna talk to you a little bit about is. Uh, just like ideas, this is always the the question of all questions is, you know, where do ideas come from? And are you one that, uh, you know, ideas just kind of fall, you just go with it, kind of pants it out? Do you outline it? Do you, um, how has kind of your process evolved as you've written, you know, multiple books now? Uh, so it's kind of hard to talk about the first one because it was so long ago that I actually came up with the actual ideas. But for the new one, what I'm finding is and also the last book in the trilogy when i still had a few few plot strings i had to tie up that i wasn't quite sure about what i found is i generally outline the story to a certain degree and then i start writing it and going through the plot and seeing how it actually turns out once it's on paper and quite often then i'll especially for this first book I found that some things weren't really working. The plot wasn't moving along the way I wanted it to, or there was too much action in one area or none and not enough time to breathe. And the pacing was off kind of thing. Or I like, I found, I found that the way I was writing with just one perspective wasn't really working for the story. So I added in extra perspectives. And then by the time I'm getting to halfway, I'm always thinking about those last bit, to the book and how I'm going to incorporate different twists and things. And sometimes I don't like, uh, for instance, at the end of my first book in this new series, there's a young girl that's introduced at the end of the series. Who's who they haven't seen before. And I knew she had something to do with the story. And I vaguely had an idea of what exactly she was going to be a part of it, but I didn't quite know exactly how she fitted in. And it wasn't until I got about halfway through writing book two that I quite it quite clicked exactly who she was going to be. So it's sort of 
a mixture of outlining and then a certain amount of pantsing and then going back and making sure that pantsing makes sense in the whole concept of the story rather than just something that was thrown in. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a, you know, it's that, the idea of discovery. And I, I think writers don't, you know, we, we've had people, I've had, you know, Libby Hawker on here who's written a book on outlining and I've had others that swear by pantsing and could never outline and vice versa. And, but the, I think the common thread is that, writers are always discovering stories. I mean, even if you outline, you're always changing your outline or you're not actually writing to the outline, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, or if you're pantsing, you're, you're just discovering the character and you're realizing, or a character like, Oh, they should do this. Oh, they should be like this. Oh, this is their backstory. You know? Um, yeah. I think your, our minds are just fascinating creatures because all those things are happening in our heads that we don't even realize in our subconscious. And they, they come out when we need them to, um, or or you get surprised, like you said, this woman you weren't sure what she was supposed to do, and then it's like, oh, that's what she's supposed to do. Yeah, um, I think that's actually, really fun. Yeah, and I, I also actually had two characters in my first book as well that uh, I had no idea what to do with them, and I wrote about the first book was just a pain this year that I've just written, and so I wrote three. I think I got to five drafts altogether where I did pretty much a complete rewrite. And for three of them, I had no idea who they, well, I really didn't have a very good grasp on these two characters. So on the next, on the third rewrite, I wrote them out and I said, stuff it, I don't need them. They're not really adding to the story. And then about halfway through that rewrite, I was like, oh, that's who they are. They're not friends, they're like antagonists. And then I just added them into the end and then sent it to my poor editor and said, look, there's two characters at the end here. They're gonna, I'm, I'm currently rewriting it at the start, but I, know, I had to get this to you by this deadline. So uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, I think, the fun thing about fiction is that we have, you have so much flexibility. I mean, it's, sometimes it's not even that hard to change a manuscript just by saying, oh, this backstory just changed and that changed that. You know, it's not that big a deal. Um, yeah. I think sometimes we get we you know writer especially people have never really written much or finished anything as they they kind of freak out and they just like well I got to trash the whole thing but you know a few tweaks here and there you can make a story go in a totally different direction. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, nonfiction's not as easy. <laughs> to, you know, it's, <laughs> no, it's too price too precise. Um, but yeah, so let's talk. Let's dig a little further into your process. So, um, well, let me ask you this. So this may may lean into your process a little bit is kind of where are you at now? So you're, you're not um, obviously doing your job uh, that you were doing out of university and are you writing full time? Is this all you're doing? Are you doing anything else on the side or um, how are you living? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm writing full time and that equivalents to about 20 hours a week, 25 hours a week maybe. And other than that, what I've been doing the last two years is pretty much the same with what I've been doing and just floating around, traveling, um, trying to see a bit of New Zealand while I'm back, but I'm not sure how long it's going to stay for before I move off to the next country someplace. <laughs> so, so, so with that, that's actually answers my question, but what, so as far as your process, how do you, how do you stay, you know, on task? Do you have word count goals? Do you have, you know, daily goals as far as how many books you want to produce a year? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, yep. So starting with my 
daily process. I try and work regular work weeks. Lately, I've been a bit bad because there's been other things going on, but usually I'll try and get up, uh, have breakfast, and go to a coffee shop and sit there for a few hours and actually write, have a word goal is usually about 5,000 words in a day. Sometimes it's more like 3,000, but you got to have it aims. <laughs> So yeah, I'll try and do that Monday to Friday and then take a break over the weekend. In the afternoons, I'll usually aim to do a bit of marketing or organizing and seeing how the books are doing and what I can do to improve things. And uh, yeah, that's generally how I write a book. For goals, I set generally like uh, last year I had the goal to finish the trilogy. This year, I want to publish hopefully four books, but we'll see how we go. I've got one out, and I'm halfway through the second one. And uh, we'll see. And yeah, that's basically it. I set up releases about a month, two months beforehand. I usually I'll get covers ready first, and then I'll book in my editors and my proofreaders. And uh, once I send it off to them, I'll start contacting people on my list for whether they want an uh, advanced review copy and our bloggers and things as well to see if they want to do a promo post and things. And if I'm planning any promotion, I'll start setting those up. Great. So uh, are you, um, or how should I frame this? Share with, this is always a question I get a lot too, is what has been kind of your most um, effective form of marketing as far as sharing your work and letting people know about it um where what have you found because i know everybody's like well you got to get a book bub that's the only answer you know <laughs> and and they're great of course but they're hard to get um but but just like what is what does marketing look like i mean you said you do some spend some time marketing what does that look like for you yeah everyone wants a book bub i still haven't gone much Sunday. <laughs> right um yeah so marketing last year i did a lot of 99 nine cent promos with the Kindle countdown deals and just using sites like uh, bargain booksy and Robin reads and e-newsreader today and stuff. Uh, I haven't done one of those in a while now though. I did a free run in September for, St- for storm for five days. But what I really found started working for me was in December, I put the price of storm down to 99 cents permanent, like uh, semi permanently for about two and a half months. And that was coincided with store, with uh, the third book coming out. So I figured once giving that away for 99 cents meant that there are people, more people reading the next two. And so for those two months, I basically booked in a lot of different days, particularly December. They, there was a lot of author-organized uh, cross-promo sort of things where they would have a page set up of 99-cent books for three days. <clears throat> And then everyone participating in that promo would email their list telling them about it. And so I went in a bunch of those through December and January. And I entered, I joined a, a lot of uh, authors doing giveaways of Kindles and things as well. So then when, once those giveaways were complete, we got the email lists and I'd email them and tell them, look, no, Stormworld is 99 cents. And then three weeks later, I'd ask them what they thought. And then a month later, I'd tell them that the two books are there and just have this process where I'd be throwing as many people as I could towards Stormwilder. And uh, I found that my income just steadily went up every month, like 
Stormwater would just seem to be gaining more momentum every month until I uh, then I released my uh, the complete trilogy in one set as well in February, and then I put Stormwater back up to two nine nine about a month and a half ago, and it's still going pretty well. So the the ninety nine cent book is kind of the entry, the gateway drug into your series, and then uh, and then as you launched yeah. other ones, uh, people would pick those up. Yeah, so yeah, and I was I was finding I was getting about fifty percent read through with the ninety nine cent, and now that it's two ninety nine, the sales have dropped, but I'm getting more like a seventy percent read through, so it's still more than making up for the income. Good. So, um, are you? Um, how do you? I guess this is always the artist business side. Is is how do you kind of balance the the writing? You know, I got to create words. I got to write books, or I don't get paid. And the marketing. Um, what's kind of your your ratio as far as time and you know percentage, if you if you will, um, as far as how much you spend on each? I try and spend most of my time writing because. Amazon just seems to love new books, so that's usually been my number one goal. But at the same time, I do try and fit in a bit of marketing every day, especially if uh, my little group of authors that I talk to have anything new to go on. Like about a month ago, I got a bit of help with my BookBub ads, not the full-on BookBub, but the ads version where you pay per thousand views and so on, and uh, that actually helped a lot to send my box set up into the ranks and start really selling. So that really helps that sort of thing. So I'll spend a bit more time when I find new ways of doing things like that. And also around like release weeks and things, I'll spend more time getting promos in order and all that sort of thing. Emailing lists and emailing bloggers and things. Do you have a a pretty active email list? Uh, not as active as I would like. <laughs> I don't actually get too many sign-ups from the back of my book, so most of it's been built by giveaways or Insta-freebie. Mm-hmm. The uh, Insta-freebie ones are pretty good, but the giveaways are generally pretty slow, but, but they're getting, it's getting reasonably big, so it still gets a decent uh, response. Mm-hmm. Now, what's been your... I, I know a lot of our indie authors use Insta-freebie, or if, if they haven't heard of it, they need to check it out, but... Um, what's your strategy on InstaFreebie? Are you putting up like first books of the series or multiple books or how do you kind of rotate those in and out of those giveaways? Uh, yeah, I just use the same strategy I've used with um, with my other giveaways. I've got they sign up to InstaFreebie for my book one, Stormwater, and uh, the email address goes to MailChimp and they get a welcome email from me explaining the process of how I made Stormwater and the history and what it went through to get where it is. And then at the end of the month, I import, I export them from MailChimp because it's expensive and I don't use it for my normal mailing list and put it onto my Sendy uh, account. And then I send them a new email saying, what did you think? I just go over a bit more about how I made the book and ask them what their opinion is and ask for a review on Amazon. And that usually gets me a couple of reviews. And then about a week after that, I'll then send them an email just letting them know that book two and three are available on Amazon and give them links and say good luck, and then I'll add them to my main list after that. Great. Um, So 
what what's kind of this um you know as you're thinking about different series you know you talked about you know sci-fi series fantasy series future series um this is always a a question uh that authors answer different ways but uh how do you decide on kind of the next where you want to spend your time as far as series um because i know if you have multiple series you know how do i know should i go to this one should i do this one should i rotate should i write three and then do another one should i write 20 and then do another one um you know, people have different views on that. But what's been kind of effective for you as far as thinking about the next book, the next series, etc.? Yeah, well, um, well, I finished uh, Stormworld. Uh, I finished uh, the Sword of Light trilogy uh, last year in November, and I was pretty burnt out on the series by then because I've written 270,000-odd words in it. So I needed something new, so I had this other project I wanted to get started, so I've now written half of that hopefully there'll be a trilogy it may turn into a four book series but we'll see uh but after the third book i'll probably go back and write something in the other world because well, it depends on how it's things are selling anyway but it really depends on yeah how the series is selling and how i'm feeling about the series like at the moment i can keep writing in this current genetic sci-fi for another couple of books at least but then i'll probably need a break and switch to something different again okay is there any um any thoughts on you know you're obviously trying to make a living with your writing i mean as far as like what's selling what's not selling or is it more just i need to write what i'm passionate about how do you kind of live in those tensions yeah i really i will only write what i love because otherwise i may as well just be in the office again (laughs) good point yeah, but I mean, I think you've got to write what you like, but you also got to know who's also going to like who, who also likes what you like. So, when you're writing an epic fantasy, you got to know who you've got to market to that's also going to like what you've written. So you've got to find authors on Amazon and things that you can use the the Amazon marketing services ads and target and that sort of stuff. Or you, or like with this genetic sci-fi, I've written what I like, but I think it might it might have might attract some people from the urban fantasy scene, for instance. Even though personally I don't read urban fantasy, but there's certain things involved where they would probably they might a few of them might cross over at least anyway. Okay, great. So for the. Uh aspiring prolific writer um what's what's as you've kind of began your journey your career um writing what are some things that you've kind of learned along the way that you'd want to share with kind of the the writer that's listening and saying i need to either start writing or i need to continue writing what what would be some advice you'd give them uh that's a good question um yeah for a new writer i'd say getting a book finished is probably your biggest issue. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to perfect their book and it's never going to be as good as you want it to be. Like when I finished, first published Stormwater, I actually did not like it whatsoever. I would have thought this, the book was crap and I was utterly sick of it, but I figured I'd chuck it up on Amazon and see what happened. I mean, I didn't have a good cover. I, the blurb, I was pretty decent, I guess, because I'd spent a lot of time on it with uh, 
one of Amazon's old breakthrough novel awards. But yeah, like I didn't think it was much. I thought it was at least proofread, but turns out it needed had quite a few typos still. <laughs> and uh, but people really liked it. Like a lot of people started reading it, and people are still reading it. So yeah, like at a certain point, you just have to draw a line in the sand and say, "I'm going to publish this now." And get it out there and see what people actually think, because that's the that's the goal in the end. If you want to write write to as a living, you've got to actually get what people think. And uh, probably one thing I really wish I'd had was also having the second book ready or almost ready to go when the first book goes live, because then you can keep that momentum going and sort of keep your audience on hooked hooked on the story. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice. My my first novel, I, I waited like a year and a half before the second. That was probably not wise, but that was life circumstance. I could barely finish the first one. So yeah, <laughs> uh, fair one, enough. once I finished the first one, I was like, oh, this is too hard. Um, and uh, But yeah, then, you know, you do, the, I did the second and the third. And no, I think that's really, really wise advice. And I think that finishing, there's something about just finishing one, even if it's terrible, even if nobody reads it. There's something psychological that happens. It's kind of like this breakthrough, like, I can do this, and, you know, I can keep doing it. And you can get better because you know if, hey, if you thought it wasn't that good, that, you know, the only way is up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, um, and you learn from it. You you, you actually learn that, that little um, – I love Dean Wesley Smith. He talks about, you know, how come writers aren't allowed to practice? And he says every book's just practice. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so you take something from that book and you learn from it and then you move on to the next one. Um, you know, I'm going to try this or I'm going to do that or, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's really helpful. So, so Aaron, so tell, tell us, um, two things. One is where we can find you, but then secondly is kind of what you're up to. I think you even just had a book come out shortly. I, we're recording on March 30. I think you had something come out recently. Um, that people can check out your work, but also what you, what are you working on right now? Uh, yeah, my, uh, genetic sci-fi first book rebirth just came out on Monday actually. <laughs> so oh, that's great. quite good. And uh, book two is already up on pre-order, so that's what I'm working on now. Uh, yeah, so I'm writing the second book about these teenagers that have been kidnapped by the government and experimented on and seeing where their story takes me, basically. And people can find me at aaronhodges.co.nz. Great. Nice and easy to remember. <laughs> Very easy. I'll put that all in the show notes so you can go check out your work. Well, hey, uh, Aaron, sounds like things are going great for you. I'm really excited for you and your career, and thank you for sharing uh, all your wisdom, and uh, and you're going to help a lot of people as they get inspired by your story, and, uh, and, and hopefully they can become prolific writers too. So that's our hope. Um, so, hey, Aaron, thanks for the time, and, uh, yeah, have a great day. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world. And head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources, and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time. Have you tried finding tickets for any live event lately? It's impossible to keep up, and prices are crazy. That's why you have to check out Gold Star. Gold Star makes it easy to discover the best in live entertainment in your city with instant access to awesome events and special ticket deals. Concerts, live theater, comedy, dance, food fests, immersive experiences – 
You name it, Gold Star has access to special deals you won't find anywhere else with savings of 50% or more. Go to goldstar.com and use code DCPOD to save $10 on your first purchase. That's goldstar.com, code DCPOD to save $10.